you know, we want to welcome everybody here. Everything all at once. Everything all at once. It's honestly a sensation. Aliens listen to it. Welcome, everybody, to, to, to Everything at Once. The uh, technical uh, error edition. Technical error edition, alternate universe times three edition coming at you. Three's Live. the lucky one, man. Three's the lucky number. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Good to be here. Matt Flowers, world famous vocalist and musician for fox grotto internationally known marketer ethos copywriting and scientific researcher of the homeless and real estate mogul and real estate mogul i almost forgot that one uh twice twice in an alternate universe i love how the title keeps changing a little bit (laughs) it keeps getting better every time dude you're gonna be like daenerys mother of dragons breaker of chains that is definitely gonna be my next title yeah for sure breaker of chains of the homelessness that's it man yeah or or whatever you want whatever chains you want i'm not gonna try to restrict you put you in any boxes uh that's great man i'm happy to have you here today it's good to be here hell yeah you're uh you're doing some big things out there, and we appreciate that. And thank you for coming on the show to share about what's been going on here in Erie locally. Um, I've been seeing you all over the news, and uh, you've been talking with, well, not all over with Erie News now about the homeless problem that's been going on in Erie that you put spent like pretty significant amount of time from what you've talked about. Yeah, so they reached out. And it was pretty cool. They were looking for a writer to do a long-form piece, and they pretty much gave me the freedom to pick the topic. And so, you know, I work downtown. Um, I'm in and out of the parking garage right next to the Renaissance Center all the time. Mm -hmm. And every time I'm coming in and out, there's definitely, you know, a handful of homeless people um, kind of of finding shelter um, in that parking garage. So... Um, I was like, this is the story right in front of me. So I reached out, said, you know, I'd like to do a piece on homelessness. And they were like, that works out perfect because we're actually covering this beat right now. So it can be part of a larger story. Mm -hmm. Cool. So Erie News Now accepts your proposition. Where did you go to start this project? So you come from like a writing background. Yeah. And you'd already had some experience writing. Have you had any experience writing anything similar to this? Any sort of research or? Yeah. So right when I got out of school, um, I was a freelance journalist for the Erie Reader. Okay. Um, so I definitely have a background in writing, um, especially journalism. So it was kind of cool to put on this journalism hat again, um, because, you know, as of late, I work on almost strictly um, marketing related content. So like blogs, ebooks, white papers, case studies, things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, it was great to be able to dig into this kind of research, get interviews. And so um, as far as starting this piece, I looked at national data first and kind of honed in towards Erie. So I wanted to figure out um what the main factors are that cause homelessness because everyone has kind of their their own opinion and ideas of how this problem starts Mm -hmm. and so you know i started digging into it and there are so many reasons why um someone finds themselves in that situation um you know i think mental health is obviously a huge one um a lot of financial uncertainty right and you know Wages are incredibly low in Erie, so it's really difficult for a lot of people. Um, you know, 16501 is one of the most poor zip codes in the right. nation. I'm sure you've seen those stats. Oh, yeah. yeah. We've talked with a few different people that are working to try and get that throughout Black Hit during while well, we were celebrating Black History Month a couple weeks ago. And uh, it's definitely a depressed area for sure. Yeah, and racial inequalities is, you know, one of the biggest reasons for it as well. Yeah, Erie's not been making national news for good things. We got the poorest zip code, and I believe there was also a story about why it's uh, the worst place for black people to try and find, or African Americans to find work or to find jobs. It was actually not, it was, we are the worst, Yeah, like, percentage-wise for, for black people to find uh consistent uh work above the the poverty level yeah so 
Yeah, so there, yeah, those articles were definitely rough to, to see those come out about Erie. For sure. On the flip side, I think there are some really positive things happening. Um, you know, most notably, it's the people who are working on this issue, you know. So um, I had talked to Peter Rourke um, at the Erie Home Team mm-hmm. and Daryl over at the Erie City Mission. Both of those guys are awesome. Yeah. And the passion that they cool. have, too. What's up, Kat? That's Gideon. She's the studio manager. She likes to come down and make sure we're doing our job down nice. here. She keeps us in line. That makes uh, me feel confident that this won't fuck up again because she's not going to let that happen. Right. That she's, she's definitely the uh, the ringleader of this whole project. Nice. Keeping everybody in line. That's right. So these people that you met um, with the firsthand experience trying to combat this issue, what did they have to say about it? What did they identify as some of the major issues that are causing this problem here? Yeah. So again, like, you know, the, there's a, the economics of Erie is really challenging, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's, um, you know, really low wages. And because of that, the housing is, you know, really unaffordable for a lot of people. And, you know, rent just keeps going up. The price of buying a home just keeps going up. The pandemic just exacerbated that issue. Um, So mental health issues, racial inequalities, uh, domestic abuse, those are really the main five. Mm -hmm. Um, But they, you know, they're tackling this issue every single day. And they're just like, they're keeping their motivation up to, to really make a difference. And I think that is so inspiring. And unfortunately, like those stories rarely make headlines the way that, that, you know, bad news does, unfortunately. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's hard to, you don't see a lot of positive things in the news Mm. anymore. It's just not everybody. It seems like it's most of it's just clickbait. Like they'll write the most inflammatory headline ever. Oh yeah. And then once you click on it and actually read the story, nine times out of 10, it's like something completely different or not half as bad as the headline makes it appear to be. I like when they phrase the headline as a question. So they get, so they're not making a statement. They're just posing a question, right? The way that your brain interprets it, you're like, Oh, that is the headline. It's not, they're not posing a question. That is the the fact. That's the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's a sensationalism in journalism. Yeah. So there's a little bit of, you know, it's an unfortunate situation, but man, this cat's digging the water. This cat's digging everything. Yeah. Gideon's down here to make sure that things go right. She well, appreciates it, all the things that are going on right now. It's very good. It's round three, man. It's round three. It's getting wild. <laughs> so, um, so you did all this research and you were talking to these people. Um, and I know you were mentioning a little bit earlier that there on any given night are about 30 people in downtown Erie area that are homeless. Yeah. So numbers wise, you're looking at like about 1100 people who are experiencing homelessness in any form. Right. So that could be, um, you know, supportive housing that could be, um, you know, people out on the street in shelters. So out of that 1100, you're looking at about 200 people who are finding shelter in places like, you know, the Erie city mission. Mm hmm. And then about 20 to 30 people um, who are chronically homeless, who are living out on the streets or in homeless encampments, something like that. Um, You know, and I think it's really important to realize that the people that you're seeing, you know, downtown, that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's there's so much more going on. Right. It's incredible to think about that when. You, you see the, the, the people that are been to in structures or staying in stairwells at the garage or whatever to think that there's a thousand more out in the city of Erie somewhere sleeping mm-hmm. on somebody's couch or without stable living. And uh, to tackle that problem seems like it could be overwhelming. I mean, to fit a thousand people into like shelters and stuff like that is a is a tall order for Erie. There's a lot of shel- I know there's a lot of shelters that are doing their best and that are full to capacity frequently, especially during the winter months. Yeah. Yeah. The, so right now, data wise, it looks like there are enough beds, but, um, with the uncertainty of, you know, uh, a recession coming up, um, they're actually gearing up to, um, actually add more beds to a lot of the shelters because they're pretty concerned that this problem is actually going to get worse before it gets better. Um, 
again, just because of the, the economic uncertainty. Right. And there's a lot of people entering these shelters that don't come from a, a positive or supportive background. You know what I mean? There's people without any support that are, you know, newly really, I, I, in the populations that I work with at my job, I know there's a lot of people that are just leaving prison, just leaving jail. They've lost everything. They may have minimal job skills or work skills or life skills, and they're expected to come into a society with that's high stress, fast paced, and there's a lot going on in order that they need to accomplish in a short amount of time to alleviate this uh, this problem of homelessness or getting out of the shelter and having a stable environment to live in. Yeah, man. I mean, the <clears throat> very rarely does someone become homeless and, you know, they're coming from a background with like amazingly, uh, you know, supportive family members in like a perfect job. Right. And, you know, they or had a, a job at all. Yeah. Or a <laughs> job at all. Or like, you know, school was a blast for them and they have their right. their degree and they're like, oh, and I'm just going to decide to do this now. Yeah. That's that's so rarely the case, if ever, you mm -hmm. know, um, and there's this debate that, you know, some people choose to be homeless. Um, you know, what I found is there are a very select few who decide, like, you know what, I want to be out on the street. I don't like the restrictions of the shelter. Mm hmm. Um, but again, those people, they're dealing with so much. So they're, they're really making an incredibly difficult decision anyway, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. I, I'd, I'd imagine, especially in this area with how the climate is, like there aren't a whole lot of people that really want to be out on the street, you know? Yeah. I mean, to, to make that decision, you gotta like, think about you know, what are they choosing to walk away from that living out on the street is the better option? Mm -hmm. that, know, yeah, that's an incredible like that. thought. Yeah. I, mean, I think the only place where it would really work where it's a dream is if you're living on like an island or somewhere warm where there's a beach. Because people like being beach, you know, uh, you know, just hang out on the beach, beach dwellers, you know. But that's a whole different like, you know, it's not just being down on down on your luck. And well, think about like L.A., right? You know, it's it's warm year round, so that's you know that's kind of the place where, you know, living out on the street isn't going to be at least climate wise as like insufferable. You know, right? And you mentioned that there has to be like a series of problems going on to make staying out on the street the better option, and to to think that there are any number of problems that could be going on that makes a better option is very profound to me. Like there has to be for somebody to choose that there really has to be like some serious things going on as far as like physical health, mental health, um, issues with behaviors and other people, social problems and f being able to integrate yourself back into a structured routine can just be really challenging for people. Yeah, man, it's, it's, like a perfect storm of circumstances. And, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with, you know, really low income jobs, you're probably dealing with, you know, some kind of health issue. You may not have a, a supportive network around you. You know, you can see how things kind of unravel. Right. You know? Do you, so with all the series of, of like problems and uh, systemic stuff and uh, issues that go behind it, uh, what kind of solutions did yeah. you find, if any, while you were doing this research? So um, from kind of a, an organizational level, one of the most um, successful solutions is while well, providing a home for these people, right? right. Yeah. yeah um, so it's not as easy as just like, hey, move into this place and everything's going to be fine. You're not going to be you know, homeless anymore. Right. It needs to be supportive housing. So that means when they have a place to live, there's also basically like a, a support staff coming in to make sure that, you know, maybe it's just that you're following a routine, maybe you're staying clean, um, maybe you're actively applying for jobs. Um, it's just adding some support and some structure to your right. life. And that's so important. You you can't really just give them a house and say, like, have at it. This good is going to be perfect. Yeah, good luck, right? <laughs> you can do it. 
So like nationally, that's one of the solutions that they've found um, works really well, supportive housing programs. Mm -hmm. So this means making sure they get to all of their appointments, they're trying to find a job or learning new skills or whatever. And uh, I know transportation can be a pretty big barrier for a lot of people. I know our bus lines are not the best around here. And getting to where you need to be on time can be a big problem in and of itself. Oh, transportation is a huge issue. And like, you know, Erie, it's not a particularly bike friendly town. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's like they're they're working on it. You know, there's some bike lanes popping up. Um, there are people protesting the bike lanes, too. Did you see that on Green Garden? Oh, I there's saw There's like a bunch of signs. Yeah, dude. Like, yeah. Oh, this is a parking lot or this is a parking space. People with signs in their front yard. Like, give these people a freaking break, dude. Let them ride up and down the road on their bikes. They're trying to better themselves and get to where they need to be. Is it really that bad? And the thing is that also, like, infuriates me is that, like, these people that live on green garden that have the signs are all in giant houses with huge fucking driveways with plenty of room to park their cars and do whatever they need to do and they refuse to give up this parking spot in front of their house that they're not even using for a bike lane because of whatever selfish reason i think there's a you know, this is a different conversation for a different time, but there is definitely a lot of anti-bicycle memes oh, on the yeah. on the internet. People just hate people on bicycles, and it doesn't make sense to me. It's it's so funny, man. Like, and listen, I totally get like when you're driving and somebody is riding right into the like riding in the middle of the road. It's like, come on, man, scoot over. Right. You know, I'm trying to get where I'm going. But at the same time, it's like the bike lane would alleviate that, right? right it's true. like, yeah. put the bike lane in, get them a place to ride, you know? And I don't know if you've, like, biked down 8th Street or something. Like, I've biked to work a few times. Mm-hmm. Man, there are some spots on 6th and 8th Street that are sketchy <laughs> on a bike. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're like, like, is this guy going to clip my handlebars? I have no idea. So, you know, for me, it's just like, this makes perfect sense. Like, Erie is such a good candidate for, have you heard of the 15-minute city? Uh, No, I'm I'm unfamiliar. So it's kind of like an economic development concept. But the whole idea is you should be able to, basically, I can't remember what all the different things are, but you should be able to find, like, recreation, healthcare, you should be able to shop, um, a bunch of different things, and you should be able to get them um, in a walking distance or biking distance within 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And there's a few places in Europe where they've tested this out and it's incredibly successful. Like people are healthier, people are happier. It's like what, like Erie is already like almost there. You know, I remember mm-hmm. like when I was in high school, there was this joke about how you could get anywhere in Erie in like seven minutes or 10 minutes or something right. like that. And it's kind of true. You can get anywhere. And so it's like, why not? you know, equip Erie with a solid bike lane, you know, just add to the transportation selection, you know, why not? Because people hate change. Yeah. (laughs) Makes people uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 I don't think people recognize how much of a barrier it is for other people. They have like a detachment because of their own personal privilege, or maybe they just haven't experienced this before, but they have this attachment to people that like need to travel on a bike in order to better themselves or to get to where they need to be. And they don't really have another option of just like hopping in a car or Mm -hmm. getting a ride or riding the bus or taking an Uber or whatever else is, is really out there. And I think it's really easy to stay detached from this homelessness problem Mm -hmm. rather than to, you know, jump in with both feet or to do like maybe not even jump in with both feet but do something to help uh Mm -hmm. the people that are in a less advantageous position so you know if you do want to make a difference on a an individual level um there are a few things you can do so um you can donate your time right so whether it's like serving a hot meal or even providing job training so there's like a, a, a bunch of different ways that you can help without even the monetary donation right which, of course, is the second way that you can help out. So all of these different organizations, you know, you can have the brightest minds on a particular problem. But if you don't have resources to execute, it's going to be really difficult to alleviate that problem. Mm. 
So if you do have a couple extra bucks and, you know, this is a really tough time for a lot of people. And if, you know, that financial donation isn't the option for you, you can donate your time. Um, the other thing is advocating, right? So like, you know, a lot of these issues are going to come from actual policy change. So talk to people in city council, you know, write to um, local and state leaders, you know, just get the conversation started. Let them know that people are actively thinking about this situation. And so between, you know, donating time, money and advocating, those are really the best things you can do on an individual level. Right. And a lot of people, I feel like, miss this chance and don't see it as a way to, you know, I'm sorry, I'm kind of blanking out here, my bad, but I really like the warm fuzzies that I feel when I know I've done something good for somebody mm -hmm. else. And I think if more people recognized how positive it was to make those kinds of changes by donating a little bit of time or mm -hmm. a monetary donation or whatever, having something that can bring a little bit of happiness or a little bit of light into their lives and into the lives of others, we would have a positive influence in our city you know things would start to change a little bit and i think that uh you know it's important to remember everything we've talked about to this point where there's so many like uh mitigating factors that create homelessness because i've i've found that people give do do try to give their time or their money or whatever but they they tend to give it to things that mean the most to them and a lot of times it seems like the popular like charities or foundations are the ones where people feel like they're helping uh cause where where uh the object of it or the subject of it is unable to help themselves like animals or sick children or children mm -hmm. in need or whatever and i think there's this this horrible stereotype that homeless people do it to themselves Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like getting the awareness out there that that is not the situation to get people to want to help out. Yeah. So that goes back to that idea of like, is this a choice or not? Right. For mm -hmm. these people. And like I said, I mean, by and large, this is not a choice. This is like a set of circumstances. This is a really bad hand that they were dealt. And this is where they're at now. Um, and as far as, you know, listen, we only have so much bandwidth. So if you are donating to other charities and things like that, that's totally, that's great. The fact that you right. can even do that is amazing. So I don't want to downplay that. Um, I just think it's really important, though, to realize that, you know, while this issue, it doesn't seem like it directly impacts everybody else, but it kind of does because we're all in the same community. Mm -hmm. And so if we are able to alleviate this issue, we get a more like prosperous downtown. Right. And when you have a strong city core, that effect ripples out to everywhere else. So, you know, it's a it's a important issue to look at a bunch of times and through a bunch of different lenses. Right. So like, I hope that, you know, um, I'm able to tackle this story, you know, a few months from now or even a year from now, whatever it happens to be. Cause I think it's important to keep coming back to it to make sure that we're, you know, making the right changes and efforts and things like that. Um, and we have some good people in Erie working on this issue again, like, you know, um, when I interviewed Peter, that guy's awesome. Daryl, that guy's killer too. Um, and they're passionate about it and they're not losing the motivation to, to really make a change. Um, you know, and the last thing I'll say too, is, you know, a lot of people are like, listen, this problem is never going away. This is just, it is what it is. And I definitely understand that sentiment that like, we're never going to be able to overcome this issue 100%. But just because we're not able to completely alleviate the situation doesn't mean we shouldn't be making meaningful change. So all the time we're investing in projects that are unfinishable. So the potholes in a road, right? Those are always going to happen every single winter. They're going to be, you know, there again, right? right. And come summertime, they're going to be filling them up. You know, we're mowing our lawns, even though we know the grass is going to come back. We keep working out and eating healthy because that's the only way to stay healthy. Mm -hmm. You have to keep investing time and resources into these product um, processes that are unfinishable. Mm -hmm. So I think homelessness is one of those things where 
I'm not convinced it matters if we can fully solve the issue or not. What really matters is we're making meaningful change. Mm-hmm. Right. And helping people get out of this process because these circumstances are always going to continue to evolve and erupt in people's lives in dramatic and impactful ways. There's no way to, to that we can keep bad things from happening to people as much as we may like to. But the important thing is that we're doing something about it when they do happen to help them get back on a, a sure footing and move forward with their lives. Um, when you started this story, you mentioned a little bit that you were doing, you, you've been a journalist before mm-hmm. and you've always been a writer. Well, you've been a writer since 2016 at least. Yeah. So that's when I started ethos, uh, it was 2016 previous to that, you know, I've always been, I guess you could say a writer. So right. early on, um, you know, I was constantly writing lyrics for the band. Um, writing a lot of short stories, things like that. Got out of school, started working at the Erie Reader. Um, did that for probably three years. Um, I loved working with those guys, too. They're awesome. It seemed like a really cool organization. Oh, they're great. And when I started, they were just ramping up. Mm-hmm. And the editors that were there at the time, oh, man, they were awesome. I don't know if you know Ben Spagan or like Corey Valancourt, but... Those guys are crazy writers and amazing editors. So I learned, honestly, I learned more in a few years working at the reader than I did in like all of my English classes. Right. You know, I don't want to say that, but pretty darn close. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've been writing for a long time, but 2016 was when I started, um, you know, jumping into the the small business situation, the copyright world, the copyright world, how this all started was like three (laughs) months ago. I messaged, I looked at, I had a, what I thought was a brilliant original idea. turns out it was not quite original. It was still brilliant. And I was like, I need a copyright. I got to patent this. And I looked up copywriting in Erie and I found Matt's website. I didn't know it was Matt's website at first. And I just sent them an email like, I need help. I have a, I have an idea and I need to get a patent. And Matt messaged me back like, oh, hey, Tony. And I'm like, oh, it's, it's Matt Flowers. I haven't talked to him in a while. And he's like, I think you're looking for a different kind of copywriting. We What we do here is more marketing and not intellectual property patents. That's exactly right. So there's copyright. So that's, you know, intellectual property IP. And then there's copywriting, which is like, that's like your, your, you know, madman style. It's like Peggy Olson, Don Draper, you know, writing the, the newest tagline or slogan on something. That's critical. You, you need those. You need a good name and a good slogan and a good logo if you're ever going to make it in the business world. And, <laughs> yeah. and you make it happen for those people. How did uh, you get started in into copywriting? Yeah, so I was a autistic support assistant um, for probably like four years. And then... Um, one of the perks of working for school is you have summers off and I was just looking for a different Avenue. Um, cause as rewarding as that job was, it doesn't pay that well. Right. And so I was like, I got, I got bills to pay, you know, I'm trying to trying to make moves. Exactly. Be financially secure. That's it, man. And so, um, you know, I actually hit up, uh, my cousin, Nick, who you actually had him on with, with Jess, the owners of Menagerie Studio. Studio. That's right. And bandmate and bandmate and cousin. You're born. Yeah, man. So, um, it was just, it was so wild. So, um, it's probably like June of 2016, and I hit up Nick and I'm like, Hey man, I think I'm going to start a copywriting business. And he's like, that's really sweet. Um, what is that? And I was <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. And I was like, I, I, I don't know exactly, but I'm trying to figure it out. I was like, I think they write, you know, slogans and they, you know, write some marketing content and that's what I'm looking to do. I've always been like really interested in what sells a product. Like my sisters always used to get these magazines, like, you know, Cosmo and people and all these, Mm -hmm. you know, things. And, you know, they have more ads than they do content. Right. They do. Yeah. And so I'm like looking at this, I'm like, what is it about the slogan that sells this watch or this perfume? Like I found myself gravitating towards the ads in those magazines more so than the articles. So you want um, the power to sell those things. Yeah. And you know what? Those ads get me all the fucking time, dude. I'm the worst. 
Yeah. I'm a total sucker, dude. You're selling me shit all the time. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, just like a beautiful photo, Mm -hmm. you know, great caption. There's something about it. Right. And so it makes me want to buy. That's exactly, you know, or if you don't buy right then, it still sticks in your head. There's something about it. Right. The brand recognition. Yeah. Come back later to that one. Yeah. And so, you know, it, we wrap up this call and he's like, Hey man, I got to jump into a meeting. Um, but we'll talk later. He gets out of the meeting. He immediately hits me up and he's like, Hey man, um, this guy needs a brochure. Um, how fast can you write it? Um, it's about, um, financial consulting. And I was like, give me two weeks. And he's like, great. How much should I tell him it's going to cost? And I was like, 150 bucks. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. That's big money. Big money. For uh, a what travel brochure. For a travel brochure? No, for uh, a autistic tri-fold. support helper. Oh, right, right. Yeah. 150 yeah. bucks, dude. That's a come up. That's uh, a come I felt up. Great. Yeah. You know, Hell I was yeah. Like, yeah. And I thought I was like pricing that really well until it took me like 20 some hours to complete. <laughs> So, yeah, I got crushed. But I was like, I was obsessed with looking at every single sentence on that brochure a thousand times. Like, I wanted it to be perfect. Hell yeah. And so that guy got like a great deal. I mean, I obsessed over that thing. Best brochure. Is he still using it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I have to <laughs> go drop by his office. I bet he is, dude. He's probably got a thousand copies made. Oh, I it's hope the best so. 150 bucks for my successful business I've I ever spent. That'd be wild if you still use it. Cause that's, that's like seven. No, it's like eight years ago. Oh man. Yeah. Do you still bring the same kind of level of obsession over, over what you write for people? Oh yeah. yeah. I'm a psycho for sure. <laughs> Every single piece goes through a minimum of three rounds of edits. Mm-hmm. So like my project flow is primary, secondary, and then final edits. Mm-hmm. And it is, uh, yeah, I mean, I really scope things out for sure. Um, cause a big part of what I do is ghostwriting. So when it comes to the blogs, the eBooks, all these things, Uh-oh. you know, like a CEO will reach out, right. And they're like, Hey, I want to write a piece on X, Y, and Z. And so I research it to the bottom of the internet and write it just like I'm them, you know? Perfect. So, so you research the guy and how he's written in the past or how his stuff has looked in the past and try to make it like that. Sometimes they don't have anything yet. Okay, so, so it's just you, dude. It's just me. All you. Making these guys, these CEOs and stuff look great. Oh, yeah. Like they're geniuses. The more I started doing this, the more I realized that the vast majority of the stuff you read is actually written by ghostwriters. Oh, for so sure. So people like you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> just reading Matt Flowers stuff over and over and over again. I'd be curious if you stumbled across one of my articles. I mean, we've written a lot, man. Yeah. A lot. I'm sure we have. Uh, probably. I would think so somewhere. Oh, definitely. Or if at least if it's not you, it's like somebody else who's in the copyright business. For sure. Cranking oh, yeah. stuff out. It's, yeah, it's a wild industry. And the stuff that I've written about is all over the map. I mean, I've written about like the zinc coatings on the sides of tanks. And I've also written about like how to make the perfect mojito. There you go. You know, so, you, so if I needed a mojito, you're my man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got you. I got you. <laughs> how does that jive with your, uh, your, um, desire to write creatively? Like when mm. you, when you have to do it professionally, like, I don't know. I, I'll just use a random example. Like if someone hits you up, like, could you write a, a ebook about the color brown? You know, and you're just like, well, it's money. Yeah, I'm bringing it in. But like, is it difficult for you to do when it's not your own creative like output that you're making yourself? I want to know what business wants an ebook on the color brown. This one right now. <laughs> yeah, we might need one, dude. <laughs> What's the word count on that? Uh, probably about 5,000 or no, 5,000. We'll do 5,000. Okay. On the color Brown on the color Brown. Nice. Wow. That would be a, that's a, that's a dry ebook right there. (laughs) We're only paying $150. Do you feel like you got it? But in your position, you have to make me want to read that book. Yeah. Yeah. So I've written about some pretty dry topics. I mean, again, the coating of a tank sounds pretty unexciting. It was pretty dry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it's like one part of what I do is almost like 
getting into a mindset where you're tricking yourself into thinking that you're super interested in this particular topic. And what's wild about that is when you're going into it with that state of mind, you start actually genuinely being super interested. Mm -hmm. So like at the end of these articles, I'm in it. Like I'm digging what I'm writing about. And it's cool because I think it comes through in the content and the the clients appreciate it. Absolutely. Do you you ever like, are you at band practice and you just start talking about like the zinc coating on the side? I'm like, guys, I just like the zinc. Zinc is incredible. <laughs> I, I honestly, so I think retention wise, it is really hard to keep all of that stuff in your brain. Right. You know, there's only so much capacity. Right. And then you're like, I got to let that little chunk of trivia go. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, to answer your question about does it impact writing creatively? So I will say, like, I haven't written a short story in quite a long time. Um But lyrically, it actually gets me really excited to jump into almost like a different style. So I've been writing this like very professional, like marketing oriented content. And then suddenly I can jump into something else that's like, you know, it's about me or like it's making me feel a certain way. So like getting to like put on that hat where I'm writing like emotive content uh, feels so good. Um, You know, nothing's ever going to replace the joy that I get from like writing lyrics. I mean, that is like the top tier for me. Um, so I would say it doesn't necessarily like, you know, uh, minimize the amount of time that I'm writing creatively. It's just what I'm doing creatively is a little different. So instead Mm -hmm. of short stories, it's typically shorter form, you know, going towards lyrics. So you'd say it feels like it's a different kind of energy that you get to express compared to copywriting versus your personal projects. Yeah. And if you think about it, it's really strange too, because wearing these two very different hats on one side, you know, I'm like a professional marketing person, you know, and on the other side of that, um, you know, I'm playing in a band and, you know, playing at festivals and dive bars and, um, it's two incredibly different worlds, but it's like a, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it's like a Clark Kent Superman thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, we got Superman in the That's studio. it. That's me. That's Hell me. Yeah. yeah. I rip off the business clothes and there's, there's just a, a cape be, behind me. That's beautiful. Beautiful yeah. mental imagery right now. Yeah. Yeah. I like it a lot. Um, so when you started this business, you you were kind of just going for it. You like sh- charging people 150 bucks for yeah. 20 hours of work uh, and yeah. just like hitting the ground running and going for it because you want this to succeed. Were there ever times where you were like, I don't know what the what the heck I'm doing here in this situation? Yeah, I mean, I'm still having those situations for sure. I mean, the whole thing with starting a small business is every single day you're st- you're solving a problem that you don't know how to solve. So you're either asking people about it, you're researching it, you're just going by your gut. Um, but I mean, all through this journey, I mean, you know, the first year was rough. I was messing up all my pricing, you know, I was constantly (laughs) undercharging, you know, after that, that initial brochure, I was turning in the final product and one of that guy's clients walked in, asked what I did. You know, I told him I'm a copywriter And he ended up becoming my second client, you know, and I constantly was like jumping into the price conversation way too early, like not giving myself enough time to process, you know, exactly what the project was. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, obviously you learn from all those mistakes. And, you know, if I could give one piece of advice to anyone that provides a service, keep the contract length short at first. So like, you'll hear a lot of advice being like, if you can just lock in like a two year contract, it's going to be awesome. The problem with that is when you're just starting your business, you don't have your pricing set up at all. Mm -hmm. And then if you're locked into a two year contract at the lowest price point you'll ever have, then you're just locked into that. You're Mm -hmm. they're like grandfathered into this, this pricing. And so if you can keep them a little bit shorter at the beginning, like do like six months that way, because everyone can deal with like six months of something that's kind of a bummer, right? You see right. the light at the end of the tunnel and, you know, you can make it happen. But like two years, that's a long time to basically be like underpaid for a project. Yeah. So that would be like a huge piece of advice that I'd give the people. Do you, you get like contracts for writing that last like multiple years? 
So people may want like continued blog posts or content or whatever it is that you, they're cre- they're asking for for a long time. Yeah, I mean, my a lot of my clients have become like good friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been working for some clients for probably five or six years, like almost from the beginning. Um, so typically it's like one blog post a month or two blog posts a month. And, you know, from the writing side of things, that service has also evolved a lot into like all kinds of areas of marketing mm-hmm. and, and things are always changing and stuff like that. And, uh, where, when do you think things started to take off for you? How long did it take before you're like, you know what, I got this kind of figured out. I'm, I'm crushing it. So I, <laughs> I think you're always feeling like you're not doing enough. You know, Mm -hmm. I I, I feel like that's a kind of a shared sentiment with all small business owners. But I would say the moment where I really started to take off was right before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. We're good. All right, sweet. Um, So right before the pandemic, I actually had this moment. It was like a major oh shit moment. So... The lockdown had just been declared, and overnight, I lost almost half of my clients, and so I'm going into panic mode, but something incredible happened during that time, so not only did all of those clients come back, but a ton more came back, or a ton more just got added onto my roster um, within like a two-week time frame, and all of the people that left, they actually were, a lot of them were grandfathered into older contracts. Mm Mm-hmm. So like price points that I had been, you know, kind of bummed out about for like a year, you know, I was like, I, I'm waiting for this contract to end because this price point is so low. So it ended early when they broke their contract. And so they were able to come back on. And it was funny because when I told them that I was raising prices, not even kidding you, a hundred percent of them were like, oh yeah, dude, like I could not believe you were offering <laughs> this much for that little, right. Mm-hmm. You know, they were all super cool about it. They were like, I have no idea how you were doing that. And looking back, I don't know how I did that. I was working so many hours. Mm-hmm. It was rough. <laughs> um, but once honestly, you know, when the pandemic hit, I started kind of aligning my work life with my real life, right. You know, and making sure that like one is helping the other and that was really important. So it brought in a little bit of balance. It kind of forced balance upon you almost by taking some of this work away and allowing you to, you know, be a human being again, instead of just a madman copywriter slanging shit. (laughs) (laughs) papers about the Yeah, man. It was like, it was this very like, I think it was one of those moments that just had to happen because I was so deep in it mm-hmm. that like I, I couldn't figure out the mistakes I was making because I had no downtime. I was just constantly churning out content. And, you know, when you are so busy that you can't think mm-hmm. stuff starts to unravel in the background. So I would say like 2019, the company really started making a name for itself. Um, a lot more traffic started coming to the site. Um, And honestly, I think the product got so much better as my capacity opened up a little bit. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, there were, there were a lot of services I started providing in addition to, you know, just writing content. So people started asking me like, Hey, you know, you're writing all these blog posts, you're writing these eBooks, whatever. Can you publish this for us? And so suddenly I was like, you know, going to the back end of their websites, publishing things. And then they were like, Hey, can you also optimize this for us? So Mm -hmm. search engine optimization is a huge thing. It's basically pushing up your search ranking to the top of Google, bang, whatever search engine you're using. You Mm -hmm. know, if you're into like duck, duck, go, and you got that tinfoil hat on, you know, (laughs) want your, want your data secure. But, um, so I started optimizing people's websites and then, like I said, I mean, some of these people I've been writing for, for like five or six years, like I know their industry inside and out. And so they started coming to me almost like for, for kind of like a, a consult, right? So they're like using me as a marketing consultant 
asking me what they can do better, what additional services I have, what their competitors are doing. So then that slowly transitioned to kind of like a marketing intelligence service. So suddenly I'm digging into like what their competitors are doing, where their competitors are getting like good press, how we can send out press releases and get that same kind of PR, where we're getting backlinks for them. Um, So it just like evolved into this like much bigger set of services. Cool. I think it's, uh, you know, we've had other entrepreneurs on in the past, and uh, it always seems like the first couple of years, especially, people don't realize like you want to be your own boss, but like how much incredible amount of work goes into it. Like you're doing all these awesome things that what it's come, you know, turned into right now. And, you know, hopefully, like a decade from now, you'll have like this big, massive, you know, like incredible business, and people will go, oh, you know, like, that lucky guy, Matt, you know, uh, but <laughs> yeah. there's so much work that goes into this. it. Yeah, yeah. Gifted it. Cause I feel like people think that they're like, Oh, this bastard multimillionaire like business owner. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of them, you know, it's just like, you, God, I hope that ends up happening. Well, I hope we're, too, we're manifesting it. We're here manifesting here. Yeah. We're big on manifestation, <laughs> but, uh, it, you, you got to really love your work to be able to do that much at the very beginning and, uh, pull through it. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Like a lot of people, I think they're like, you know, I want to be my own boss until you realize that when you're starting your own business, each one of your clients actually becomes like another boss, right? Cause you're working for them. Right. So like, you know, on any given month, they might have like 20 different clients in a rotation. So I basically have like 20 different bosses that I got to make sure they're all getting what they need. Mm-hmm. So that whole idea of like, you know, I'm just going to, just going to do my own thing. Going to answer to no one. No, you're answering to a ton of people now. Um, and yeah, I mean the work at the beginning is rough, but you know, it's like a labor of love at the beginning, you know, and you really got to just believe that what you're doing is going to work. You know, you have to have that faith and you know, if, if you can stick it out, like statistically for the first five years, you can kind of you know, secure a good living at that point. You're not in that shaky state of being, you know, a small business owner. Right. And I, I really like the evolution of your company that you've described too. So it started as, you know, making brochures and pamphlets and now you're kind of almost like marketing consulting, it sounds like, and sharing intelligence and doing research. And it all kind of just stems from this obsession with your work, you know, and putting in your best effort and putting in the time to find out how these um, products that you're putting out to these people are going to be most effective. Yeah. You know what I love is kind of figuring out like how all the dots are connected, you know? So like I'm constantly writing about industries that seemingly have nothing to do with one another until you realize there's just all these connections. And so with that, suddenly, you know, you're deep diving into all this research and then you're writing about it and you're coming to like new conclusions and suddenly you're able to take like a much, um, broader picture of all these different sectors. So I love being able to kind of explore these new avenues for all these different businesses, um, give them some kind of different marketing insights that they might not be able to get elsewhere. Cause very few companies are writing this much content. Right. You know, we've written like several million words at this point. Oh my God. Yeah. It's a lot of content, (laughs) you know, granted some of that's like emails and stuff like that, but I have a word counter going in the background. I mean, it's a lot. If that was in a book, that would be a long book. That would be a long book. Average book is like 250,000 words. Yeah. I've written several of those then. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. For real. Yeah. And, uh, you were mentioning that you also have like your own creative outlet in your Fox Grotto, you know, coming in and having that balance and having not everything, not just be all work is very important. Like to me personally, is that like, I'm enjoying what I'm doing and I'm making a livable income and I'm able to spend my time, my personal time doing what it is that I want to do. Yeah. So you know, we are really like hitting a stride with the band right now, which I feel so good about. We're about to go into the studio, probably May or June. And we were just like pumping out songs. We're just in a really good groove right now. Um, and yeah, that creative outlet is so important. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when I was starting the business, I kind of let that side of my life go. Cause you can, only focus on so much. Right. And then I kind of realized that this chunk was missing from my life, you know? Mm -hmm. 
And so, you know, we started playing again, like at least once a week. And so, yeah, I mean, we've written probably about 20 songs now. Um, going to go into the studio, get that going. And it's been a huge part of my life. And the cool thing is like that, that music side of things, it makes the content creation so much better. Like business wise. Yeah. Do you feel like you're able to explore more creative routes? Yeah. And like you realize that, um, you know, lyrics are catchy and sticky because they feel good to say or sing. And you start realizing that like really good taglines, really good slogans. I mean, even a sentence like to kick off a blog post or something like that. If you hit them with something really good that actually feels good to read, Mm -hmm. you're going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Um, So I find the two work really well together. Um, So, you know, on Ethos, I'm learning all kinds of wild stuff. And then with Fox Grotto, I'm like digging into this creative side, you know, um, and figuring out like what makes words sound good together, which is super important. but then just from like a lifestyle standpoint, you know, playing in a band and having friends that you're able to connect with regularly, I think is so important. Right. Um, I think when a lot of people start digging into like their professional life, they slowly lose track of, you know, the friends that they used to kick it with. And I sure. think, you know, just making those connections and keeping you know, those connections fresh. That's so important. I think that's a huge point of inspiration too. just having like a social network that you can talk to and, um, you know, kind of be inspired by, you know, if I was surrounded by a bunch of people that, uh, were not like pursuing their own roots of creativity or their own businesses or their own passions in their own respect, then I feel like it would be a lot harder for me personally to like step out of my comfort zone and try something new and try to do something that I want to do. But if I see other people doing it, I'm like, Hey, you know, maybe, maybe this is possible. It's all about the, uh, you know, what's that old line? Like, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Oh, nice. I haven't heard that. I always think about the, um, you are the combination of the five people that you spend the most time with. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard that? Sure. And I think there's something really true about that. So, you know, everybody in the band is doing something wildly different. So Brad's making custom furniture. Nick's making like these beautiful videos. I'm digging into content creation and writing. Um, Bill just got his master's. Um, go Bill. Good yeah, work. Go Bill. Yeah. 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 He's working for um, Erie County um, as a parole officer. So we're all doing like these totally unique things. Um, and so it's, it's just really cool to like kind of get empowered by your friends. Um, and then even again, like outside of that professional thing, we're all coming back together and doing something really creative, um, that you can like really feel, you know? Absolutely. And that's, it's so important to have like that, that feeling. I feel like there's a certain time where at least in my creative process, like I know if I'm doing something really good, if I feel like I'm not the one doing it. I don't know if that makes sense, but it feels like I tap into something else that's like moving my hand or my fingers across the keyboard. Mm, like a muse? Like a muse or like the great spirit or like however you want to look at it. Some sort of creativity portal that's just like providing me with the information to t- put down rather than me trying to create my own shit. Yeah, I love like when that idea hits you, it feels so wild. Like the feeling of an epiphany is right. amazing. Yeah. I was driving to band practice the other day and like this entire verse just popped into my head, like two blocks away from our practice space. And when I walk in, like I just had the chords ready to go. Right. And like had the rhythm. And I was like, guys, what do you think about this? And now it's like one of the songs that are probably going to make it, you know, onto the album. Hell yeah. And it just, it like just fell out of me, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just like, oh, that feels so good because I wasn't thinking about anything, mm-hmm. you know, I was probably listening to a podcast or, you know, some song or something and just like it hit me. I was like, this is exactly what I got to do. I, I love, love that. Uh, yeah, dude. I love when I get an idea from a dream too. 
Oh, so likes, good. Yeah. You, you like the, the song that we're working on right now, our house band, the EAOS house band, um, nice. is working on a song. And before we went to the writing thing, I was, I had a dream about like the lyrics really? and I wanted to write them down like that day, but I'm like, no, I got to wait till I get everybody there. I'm going to write this whole fucking song myself. And we really wanted it to be like a collaborative thing. So I really appreciate when. I think it's like a combination of like spending time doing something. You know what I mean? When something really absorbs your creativity or your mind or your thought process, it starts to manifest itself in dreams. And then Mm -hmm. when we have those dreams about it, it's, it's something that is otherworldly and not from me. You know what I mean? It just feels magic. Mm -hmm. When I used to write a lot of short stories, typically those ideas would come from dreams, Mm -hmm. but my dreams are like, wild man yeah yeah me too yeah Yeah. like nightmare style like crazy (laughs) stuff so like a lot of my short stories were so dark like in college and stuff yeah i'd write like just oh man they were crazy my teachers always loved them but yeah yeah i feel like when we do like a a student critique everyone was like what is the story scary yeah (laughs) Yeah. but um yeah i kind of like that darkness though you know there's something like i feel like it's important to tap into that that side of things because there's obviously like those those thoughts and those dreams they're coming from something right, right. so like if you can kind of identify like what made you feel that way mm-hmm. i think it's important to dig into that a little bit and i think it's a very important part of the human experience to be in those dark places you know what i mean like everybody's going to go through pain and loss and grief and all of those negative feelings and hurt and to be able to create something beautiful from those feelings is really transcendent to me almost Mm -hmm. yeah it's cathartic it's cathartic and it lets part of that go part of that pain part of that hurt part of that whatever you know go into something that ends up being beautiful and can touch other people too you know leave your mark on them and let them know that they're not alone in this you just got to be able to stare into the darkness and not be consumed by it. Mm-hmm. That's the yeah. other thing too. You can see that the the darkness or those negative things all all the way around, and having that little bit of a hope shot. That uh, you know, if I hear a sad song or whatever that you wrote or somebody else wrote, I can look at you today and see like you know what Matt was clearly feeling some some messed up stuff at that time, but he's still here and he's mm-hmm. still doing it, and they're out there performing and doing their thing you know yeah i mean there's when it comes to music there's all kinds of stuff right so the artist is kind of getting healed by the stuff that they're working on but then also like how many times have you just put on a song that matches your exact mood at that moment and it helps you get through that moment Mm -hmm. yeah it's like the beautiful part about it and i think the one thing that continues to interest me you know Every once in a while, I'll put on a song that we wrote years ago, you know, like something that I think is going to be trash, you know, something that like never even made one of the albums for Falling Hollywood, just something off the beaten path. And I'll listen to it and the lyrics completely, they have a completely different meaning for me suddenly. And I'm like, oh my God, I was onto something with this. And it'll come back like a few of the songs on the album that we're going to record. They were written like 10 years ago. But we just huh. were like, this is, this is solid. Like this feels this good now. It's almost like we wrote it before we were ready for it. Mm-hmm. And the meaning of the song is completely changed for us. Um, so that kind of blows my mind where like, I feel like that all the time we, we tapped into something almost before we were ready for it. Yeah. What kind of, what kind of feel are you guys reaching for on this new album? Mm. What's it so going to sound feels. like to me? Yeah, so did you have you listened to Falling Hollywood? Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, I've sure. heard I've seen you guys play before. Yeah, I, mean, awesome. I wouldn't say I've ever had like an in-depth listening session or could really recall yeah. anything, you know what I mean? So we definitely, you know, when the band really started doing like some some weekend warrior style tours, we were hitting that like, you know, like Americana folk style thing on our first CD. Mhm. And then, like, so many bands that are doing the folk thing, suddenly you're like, all right, I'm ready for a little juice. Like, I want to plug in, get some pedals, you know, some distortion. So then our second album ended up being, like, pretty heavy. Mm -hmm. Um, It's called Heavy Weather. Um, 
and a lot of like heavy blues influences. I describe it as like CCR with like way more electric guitars, Mm. you know? So there's a lot of like riff heavy stuff, but then Nick and I have always harmonized. So there's like a little bit of sweetness to the, to the melodies and things like that. So Fox Grotto is all over the map. Like, I mean, we have like some reggaeton stuff, some new wave stuff, some like really heavy blues, um, almost some like kind of like early nineties primacy cool. style stuff. Love it. It is all over the place. Cause if you think about it, I mean, our last album came out like 10 years ago under falling Hollywood. Now we have this new moniker Fox Grotto and it's kind of a moment where we're all coming back together and we have a decade of like new listening experiences and life experiences. Sure. And so we're coming at this thing and we have just music coming out everywhere. I mean, it's just like all different styles. Every time we like do a jam session, we end up falling into, you know, another song and we're like, is this going to be one that we bring to the studio too? Um, so we're going to have to really like figure out what's, what's going to make it. Ideally we record everything and then we like make the album from there and then have a bunch of singles as well. Sure. But yeah, I mean, it is all over the map. I'd say, like, just as a general term, you could either be like, it's just rock and roll or it's alternative. You know, either of those work. But influence-wise, it is all over the place. Beautiful, awesome. man. I can't wait to hear it. Thanks, man. Yeah, thank you for coming on the show today. This Dude, has been fun. It. Third tries the charm. Those yeah, other man. parallel dimensions never existed and didn't happen it's as far because, as I'm concerned. It's because Gideon came down Gideon and came made down sure to it was scare good away to go. the house ghosts yeah. and stuff. We persevered. We persevered. We made it through the dark times. Heck yeah. Thank you. Hey, thank you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Make sure you hit those likes, subscribe, follow, share, all of the buttons that you can possibly push on social media and YouTube. Just hit them. We'd love that. Just hit them. 